0: another end of the world is possible this is hell and the new end of the world we are discovering and discussing today is bitcoin and its demand for fossil fuel needed to constantly be generating new numbers which is at the heart of how cryptocurrency works i guess bitcoin by now likely i guess that's how it works i mean you know i'm not too sure Anyway, Bitcoin by now likely consumes more energy than the entire continent of Australia. The amount of emissions it creates erases the emissions reduction made by the United States over the last few years. And unlike companies like Google, who are zero-emissions producers, Bitcoin seeks out the cheapest fuels to consume, and with renewables having such success, that means burning more fossil fuels. They've even started running cover for the fracking industry by legitimizing more fracking through Bitcoin's plan to use waste fuels for their computing which in turn creates a monetized market for waste fuels, encouraging the creation of more climate change, causing burning of waste. With Bitcoin instead of renewable energy, meaning the consumption and burning of less and less fossil fuel, what's happened has been demand for energy has increased and fossil fuels keep burning at record rates annually until we had a global pandemic. And you do not want to depend upon deadly runaway plagues to curb energy consumption. We'll learn about the newest way to end the world in a few when we speak with climate data analyst and communicator. Katen Yoshi, author, or who posted the article, Bitcoin is a mouth hungry for fossil fuels, at his website, katanyoshi.co, that's K-E-T-A-N-J-O-S-H-I.co. Katen is author of Windfall, Unlocking a Fossil-Free Future, He worked in the renewable energy industry Doing operational monitoring, data analysis Community engagement and corporate communications He's also worked in data science And innovation communications at Australia's National Science Agency Currently residing in Oslo Ketan writes regularly for Renew Economy and the Australasian Centre for Corporate Responsibility Ketan, our guest today, was suggested By listener Braden in Newcastle, Australia Who wrote to us saying Ketan is an Australian currently based in Norway. I think he might be the right person to speak to about how the right wing media sphere blaming Texas blackouts on renewable energy is very familiar to what happened after storms killed the power in South Australia in 2016. So, thank you, Braden, for your guest suggestion. And uh, I requested Braden's permission to instead discuss Bitcoin's impact on climate change. We have not yet received a reply from Braden. Braden, you're welcome when it comes to having Katan on the show, and our apologies for not discussing what you wanted us to discuss. Also on today's show, we'll have the rest of your answers to this week's question from hell. We'll tell you what's happening on our Patreon podcast tomorrow, Friday at 10 a.m. Chicago time, at patreon.com slash thisishell, and tell you what's happening on This Is Hell next week. Producing is Richard Norwood, oddly. Richard, why are you here?
1: Because Alex is getting his second shot.
0: Oh, right now he's getting the shot. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I see, I see. And do you know where this uh, bottle came from that's on uh, yeah, my desk?
1: Yeah, I brought this for you as what a little present because it's so ridiculously stupid. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's nano CBD infused water. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what the hell? Was this expensive?
1: Uh, no, it was given away. I was working some event like a couple weeks ago and the the... the the yahoos who were running the event got that because they thought it would be cool to give out to the people. Did you try it? No,
0: I haven't tried it. I brought it for you to try. <laughs> Sweet. So I'm your guinea pig? <laughs> awesome, Richard. And we're so glad you have that kind of respect for me to allow me to be your guinea pig on CBD-infused water. More importantly than any of that, Richard, what is this week's question from hell for our listeners? Well, this
1: week's question from hell is, what are you doing to boost your show, your social credit score?
0: Clearly you're giving out CBD infused <laughs> water. Man- yeah,
1: Nano-infused s- nano, nano Nano-infused Nano-CBD And it's like, like a clear bottle And you can't read the writing Unless you're like
0: yeah, You know You have to hold something up behind it Exactly So you can see it And then <laughs> Yeah, this is ridiculous That has got it I'm drinking this today And I will be telling people on Patreon tomorrow Exactly how that went Because I have a feeling it's going to go Just like all water Directly through me And <laughs> that's going to be about the whole extent of it <laughs> The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell wins your choice of whatever This Is Hell merchandise you want. You can check out all of our merchandise right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support, where you will see all the ways you can contribute to completely listener-supported This Is Hell. Remember, without you, we got nothing. So thanks to all of you for your support. You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page. You can tweet it to us. You can email it to us. But we must have your answer by the end of today's show when we are announcing this week's winner, following Jeff Dorchin in the moment of truth. During this week's Moment of Truth, Jeff wants to help you design your own dementia. Richard, we'll have more of your answers to this week's question from hell following our guest again. This week's question from hell is, what are you doing to boost your social credit score? What are you doing to boost your social credit score? We've been getting emails about modern monetary theory. And before you send us any more suggestions for guests on MMT, we have already booked a guest to discuss this topic on Monday, upcoming Monday. The question is, who? Who did we book? It's one of your suggestions for a guest on MMT. We've confirmed him for Monday already, so let's see who you've suggested so far and figure out, or maybe at least have some guesses as to who might be our guest on Monday on Modern Monetary Theory. We had two different Jasons, suggests Stephanie Kelton, author of The Deficit Myth. Then last week we got suggestions from Anthony and Alex. Anthony writes, I'm a relatively new listener and have thoroughly enjoyed the variety of important thinkers you feature and your incisive interviews. I was therefore thrilled to hear in the intro to episode one thousand three hundred and twenty two, and by the way, we've done actually about two thousand episodes of the show, if you Not more I think it's far more Maybe 2200 I don't know The suggestion that you interview An MMT economist Full disclosure I'm an adherent To this macroeconomic view My hopes are dashed When you pointed uh, When you punted Sorry By pleading that you couldn't Find a credible interviewee Who could discuss The positive and negative aspects Of MMT May I suggest that this is false both sidism. Do you demand this purity check when you interview your many other guests thinking and writing about late stage capitalism, imperialism, class, racism, hegem- hegemony? What attracted me to your podcast was precisely that you bring to the public square thinkers who challenge the corpo hmm, this is a good one. Corpo patriotic. Hmm. Orthodoxy, of which mainstream, think Larry Summers. Paul Krugman, to say nothing of the Chicago School and the Austrians, economics has provided the academic underpinning for neoliberalism, austerity, and the myriad of inequitable consequences of late-stage capitalism. Please consider inviting any of the following on MMT. Randy Ray, Pavlina Cherneva, Bill Mitchell, Fidel Kabub, Rowan Gray, Matthew Forster. again... Stephanie Kelton Alternatively, if you wish to interview a well-established economist Outside the MMT camp Who is well-positioned to discuss it You could do no better than appreciate, uh, Approaching Sorry, James Galbraith See his column, Who's Afraid of MMT? If you got this far, thanks for reading Considering, Antony So I replied to Antony, writing You make a good point about both-sideism However, my larger concern is having someone on Who is completely uncritical Or dismisses criticism on anything For example, when we discuss Bolivia or Venezuela or Brazil, when we're talking about Evo or Hugo Chavez or Lula with supporters of leftist governments in those countries, we always ask a question that leads to guests revealing that they do have criticisms and that they are not merely unquestioning, ardent supporters, knee-jerk supporters of a cause. We always want to make sure that it's somebody who can be a critical thinker, not just somebody who's an enthusiast. Tony wrote back saying, I agree that you want a serious... Guest and not a fanboy That is exactly right, Tony Listener Alex then emailed his guest, Choice for a guest on MMT writing Thanks so much for your work, I literally Can't count the number of times your show has Introduced me to a new idea or author that Radically changed my perspective and I need A daily dose of your lefty realism after Listening to my colleagues, neighbors, families Hopelessly misguided neoliberal banter You recently wondered about who To interview on MMT Another suggestion, another person uh, Seconds, third Fourth, Stephanie Kelton Stephanie Kelton would be great, very knowledgeable And fairly objective, given that she is among those At the center of the movement I would recommend her Even though she is not neutral On the subject have you ever had two guests with different perspectives on the show at once? I would be really interested to hear you interview two people who recently debated MMT on, at Descent Magazine, Daniel Wardle London and Ashma Desai. They both offer competing views about the role of taxation and how MMT fits into the equation. Desai doesn't think MMT is the answer, but neither do they dismiss it out of hand. See? Make that hear you in hell. Alex. Alex then Links to Desai's And uh, Daniel's uh, debate that they had At Descent Magazine So who will our guest on MMT be This coming Monday? Will it be Daniel Wardle London? Ashra Desai Stephanie Kelton James Galbraith Randy Ray Pavlina Cherneva Bill Mitchell Fidel Kabub Rohan Gray Matthew Forrester I'll give you a hint right now Two of those people have been on the show And one of them Will be our guest on Monday to talk about MMT. So we'll find out at the end of today's show. So stay tuned in to find out who will be talking modern monetary theory on MMT Monday. Coming up, Bitcoin Causes Climate Change. We'll also tell you what's happening on Patreon during our Friday Patreon podcast this week. And we'll have Jeff Dorchin in the Moment of Truth during this week's moment. Jeff wants to help you design your own dementia. Again, Richard will have more of your answers To this week's question from hell Which is what are you doing to boost your social credit score What are you doing to boost your social credit score The person with our favorite answer To this week's question from hell Gets your choice of whatever This is how swag you want You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell On our Facebook page You can tweet it to us You can email it to us But we have to have your answer By the end of today's show Pretending to know what I'm talking about Since 1996 This Is Hell, Bitcoin is making some people very rich, apparently. The problem is, as it is with many get-rich-quick schemes, at first glance it might seem like a completely legitimate and innocent way to earn money. But once closely examined in reality, it's a freaking nightmare, causing suffering and making life worse for everybody but a few. Worse yet, those few who are making a killing, literally, with Bitcoin— Are going around trying to silence any suggestion that the cryptocurrency, as well as NFT crypto art, are contributors to climate change, major contributors to climate change. Here to help us understand how Bitcoin is burning up the planet, climate data analyst and communicator Katanya Shi posted the article. Bitcoin is a mouth hungry for fossil fuels at his website, K-E-T-A-N-J-O-S-H-I dot C-O, dot C-O. Welcome to This is Hell, Ketan.
2: Hi, how you doing?
0: Good. You are also the author of a recently published book back in December, Windfall, Unlocking a Fossil-Free Future. You've worked in uh, the renewable energy industry doing operational monitoring, data analysis, community engagement, and corporate communications. And now, again, we want to thank listener Braden for suggesting you as a guest. Braden is, wrote to us from Newcastle, Australia. So thank you, Braden, for suggesting Katana as our guest today. Uh, so the one question I had somebody ask me yesterday is, you know, look, uh, Bitcoin, is, it's just a cryptocurrency. We're going to be talking about Bitcoin's impact on us in the physical world that we live in. But when we say things like, Bitcoin has this much of an impact on the environment or Bitcoin uses fossil fuels. Who is making those decisions for Bitcoin? How can we hold something as nebulous as Bitcoin? Literally, when you consider how it exists in a cloud of sorts, how can we hold Bitcoin responsible if we want Bitcoin to act a certain way? Who would implement the new way in which Bitcoin operates?
2: This is, this is basically the really, really critical uh, heart of the entire issue, uh, so just to give some context, you know, uh, about, I think it was three or four years ago, I think it was 2017 greenpeace initiated this massive campaign called clicking clean. Uh, and they targeted, uh, the sort of big tech companies, right? So they targeted like Netflix and Facebook and Google and Amazon. And they were like, look, you, you guys are providing this service, uh, but your computers are consuming huge quantities of energy. Uh, and so what you need to be doing is making sure that you're purchasing your energy from clean um, providers, right. And their targets were really, really clear. So if the, the website is still up, right? Like you can still see this campaign from 2017 and they really have a go at Facebook and, you know um, just the big tech companies and all those names are really recognizable, right? You go on this website, you're immediately like, yeah, I know what Facebook is. I know what Netflix is. Um, but When it comes to Bitcoin, you don't immediately start going, oh, yeah, I know what the main Bitcoin mining company is. And I know uh, who's producing Bitcoin and uh, who's responsible for the huge sort of uh, server farms that are um, consuming huge quantities of energy to um, generate Bitcoin. You can't just sort of rattle them off the top of your head. Uh, And so that disconnect there between any sort of public pressure from people who are like, well, I know the name of this company and and I'm going to apply pressure to them to make sure that they buy clean energy for what they're doing. It just doesn't exist for Bitcoin. Uh, And so that is basically the main problem here is that the companies uh, or even the individuals who are doing this, um, which is, you know, the process of essentially setting up computers that are participating in this race to generate enough sort of uh, random information to hit the lottery and get that Bitcoin to, to earn that, that money, um, it's actually really hard to trace. Um, so n- not just the nature of the cryptocurrency itself, um, but also just the people who, who look after these machines. Uh, there's very little accountability. Um, and that is a really big part of the problem.
0: So that obfuscation, I would assume, is intentional. Why are they trying to hide the companies or individuals behind these mining ap- operations?
2: I'm not too sure if it's sort of like this evasion of public scrutiny as much as it is they just can't be bothered. Uh, I, get this, I get this real vibe of uh, they basically have no real interest in uh, public engagement for what they're doing. This is a massive generalization. There are some companies who are sort of starting to change their ways a little bit so they're like they'll have a, they'll have like a website, you know, and they'll be like, look, you know, um, like there's one company for instance, that's based in Texas and they're like, look, Texas has so many wind farms and this is where we mine our Bitcoin. So it's pretty good that we're mining our Bitcoin close to all these wind farms because the power's a bit cleaner. But then, you know, my next question is when I see something like that, you know, as a, as a climate um, analyst, my next question is like, okay, uh, well, where's your annual report? You know, how how much power did you consume? How much did you buy from renewables? Did you match the electricity that you consumed with the output of wind farms? Um, and then as soon as you start asking these questions, it all just kind of drops off again, right? Like you can't really, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any real accountability or any way to test these claims in the same way that if somebody, like if Amazon say, look how great we are for doing this particular climate thing. The first thing I will do is go to their annual report and go, okay, what were your emissions? You know, how much did you abate using renewables? How much did you abate using changing the nature of your business? Um, and actually, you can, you can get answers, answers to those questions. Um, and so it's pretty clear that a lot of these companies uh, are just like, well, I'm not going to bother because, you know, they, doesn't, they don't seem to be suffering any consequences for not uh, making it clear exactly what their impact on the rest of the world is.
0: I'm not necessarily an advocate for consumer activism. I don't really know how efficient or effective it actually is. But does this kind of not knowing who the companies and individuals are who are behind this data mining, do they, does that undermine any potential for you know, pressure from consumer activism or any kind of political activism?
2: Yeah, so, so uh, this is actually not just, a, not just an activism problem but a measurement problem too. Uh, so, if you look at the data that's out there about exactly what the impact of Bitcoin on the environment is, um, it all kind of goes back to how much energy they consume and where it's consumed, right? So, you can calculate if a company uh, consumes um, one unit one unit of energy, um, known as a megawatt hour of electrical energy, uh, on on a particular grid in China, for instance, and then you also look at that grid and go, okay, well, that grid was 70% coal over that same time period. So you can just attribute that, you know, they had the emissions associated with the 70% of that coal from that one megawatt hour. Um, that sounds all well and good, but then, uh, you actually then have to take a rough guess of what that, that particular company uh, or individual would have consumed in, um, generating that Bitcoin. Right. And that means when you look at estimates, if you gather it all together and you look at estimates of how much, um, power Bitcoin consumes, the range is really, really huge. Um, so the last time I looked, it was somewhere between, um, so this is what's called an annualized estimate, right? So it looks at what the current power consumption is and then spreads it out over a year. Like imagine if this was the same for an entire year, Um, And it's somewhere between like 80 and 400 terawatt hours. And so to give you and to contextualize how much power that is, uh, sorry, how much energy that is, um, all of the world's uh, data centers, so that's everything, you know, the data center that's powering the Zoom call, um, the data center powering every single streaming Netflix thing in the world, um, every single cloud storage, just the entire data center industry is about 200 terawatt hours in the space of a year. And Bitcoin mining is somewhere between 80 and 400. So the range of estimates here is so huge that, um, so we know for sure that it's very, very bad, right? We know that it's proportionately quite large, Um, but how large it is, is just such a mystery. Um, And part of it comes from these companies operating in a way that we just don't know how much power they consume in the space of a year, for instance.
0: The hope, I, I I get it. The hope would be that money can be earned or capital accumulated, depending upon your point of view, without having to create a product that is in its creation contributes to climate change. And with Bitcoin, as there is no real product, only one that is virtual, then nothing ends up in a landfill. Is Bitcoin any worse for the environment than the production of a real good that either needs to be recycled or put in a landfill, because I, I think that's the logic those who believe Bitcoin can be environmental, environmentally beneficial believe. So So why isn't that the case?
2: Uh, yeah, so, so th- that comes down to what's known as a measurement in climate that we refer to as life cycle emissions. Uh, and so uh, an electric vehicle, for, uh, electric vehicles are really good examples of something where there's a lot of material cost, but there's also an energy cost as well, right? So... Um, It takes emissions and energy to uh, mine the lithium that goes into the battery uh, to make the steel that the car is made out of, um, you know, to manufacture the rubber tires, all that sort of stuff. Right. Um, So there's embedded emissions inside that car. And then the car itself has to be charged with electrical energy for it to work, for it to move around. And then at the end of its life, uh, it actually takes energy to recycle the bits of that car as well. Um, And so that actually makes trying to figure out the environmental impact of something like a vehicle a private vehicle really really complicated um and you know there's actually sneaky ways that you can make it look either worse or better than what it is in reality Um, something like bitcoin is really different you know that's something um this is this is a challenge that has come up with uh sort of something like streaming video for instance there was this whole period where uh the, there were articles about the climate, and a lot of this has actually been um, quite badly exaggerated, right? Because um, the calculations behind it are so tricky, um, and so Netflix was getting all this heat because you know the things that the thing that gets spat out is you sat on you sit, you sit down on your couch, you watch an hour of images and sound flashing by your eyes, and that's the product, right? It's this sort of service that doesn't have any. Um, material impact in the same way that buying an EV does. Um, but the difference, of course, is that um, the calculations for the impact of an hour of Netflix were overestimating its impact. And a lot of the calculations for the envi- for the um, energy cost of Bitcoin are actually underestimating its impact. And so um, that was actually what led me to write that blog post because I wanted to kind of demonstrate that we were probably not reacting as strongly um, as we should be to the um, energy cost of Bitcoin. Um, and then, of course, um, I was comparing it to the value that seems to be created from um, producing that Bitcoin, um, which is not proportional to the energy cost.
0: And you start your writing, though, but I, I got to ask you about this. You write, this is an awful idea, but I'm writing about bloody Bitcoin again. Why is that, <laughs> why is that such an awful idea? Why do you hate writing about, no, I don't want to say hate, but why do you dislike writing about Bitcoin?
2: Uh, so it's, it's, it's not so much the writing process as it is the publication process. Um, and the reason is, um, and it sort of feeds into what I wrote about, um, is the cultural space that exists around it. Uh, I, I actually, before I published that post, I wrote this thread, um, about, uh, there's a company called ARK Invest, um, and one of their people did this thread about, um, and it starts off basically saying, um, not only is Bitcoin, Um, Not harmful to the environment, it's actually beneficial. And that got my attention, right? Because that's a positive claim that um, something is actually helping the environment. And I was like, okay, that's going to take a lot of evidence to convince me that it's actually beneficial for the environment. Um, And then the thread actually goes off by saying, look, you know, um, when people are digging up um, fossil gas, uh, we're getting the methane that is usually just burnt off into the atmosphere, and we're using and we're burning that gas to power Bitcoin mining machines. And I was like, I recognise that very much from um, the fossil fuel industry uses this argument a lot, right? They sort of say, um, look, uh, instead of burning this lump of coal, we burnt this um, you know thing of gas instead. Um, and of course, the problem is that uh, we're now burning huge amounts of gas, and it's contributing. Um, you know, a a very, very significant proportion of total greenhouse gas emissions in the world. And so I I tried to debunk this thread um, with my own Twitter thread, and I was really blown away uh, by the ferocity uh, and the weird tone of the responses, right? It was really, really quite a strange experience um, because about 50% of the responses were people rejecting the premise of climate change itself in response. And, you know, so these are sort of like people defending Bitcoin, but sort of saying, well, you know, look, you're a, you're a climate alarmist, you know, you're sort of exaggerating the threat of climate change, or some of them were even denying the, the science of it altogether. And then the other half were, were sort of making this odd dismissive uh, toned argument where they were sort of saying, look, um, you're just jealous of our wealth um, have fun staying poor, you know, that's sort of, uh, you're, you're kind of, uh, being left behind while we while we're the ones making all this money and you're just writing this because you're, you're jealous of us. Um, and I was like, okay, this is really weird and interesting. Um, I don't ever want to hear from these people ever again in my life. Um, but I kind of want to dig into what the hell is going on here because I was really, um, these people were talking about climate and energy, right? This is my, um, this is what I work on, right? Like, this is my area of knowledge. Um, but they didn't have any depth of knowledge, right? They were just sort of repeating this uh, in the hope that, like, they were, almost felt like they were trying to convince themselves of it rather than trying to convince other people of it. Um, and you sort of scratch the surface and the arguments don't really hold up and they don't react well at all to that surface being scratched at all.
0: Does, dip, does Bitcoin, does it monetize climate change or not monetized I'm sorry incentivized does Bitcoin incentivize climate change denialism?
2: Um, I'm not sure it works in that in that direction. I feel like if you sort of go back to the old days of climate change denial a lot of it was driven by people who were coming to climate change denial because they wanted something to confirm a view that they already had which is uh, you know um, they don't like centralized government, um, they don't like regulations, um, they don't like collective action um and so they they kind of saw climate change denial as this really powerful force of pushing back on government control um and so a lot of climate change denial particularly in its early days was driven by um you know libertarian groups conservative groups um in the us where i'm from australia um they, they, they have the, pretty much the same problem um and bitcoin of course has a similar sort of like feel to it right like it's a sort of decentralized um there's no there's no um trust you know it's sort of uh everything um the sort of trust is built into the system you don't have to rely on a single person um this is what its advocates say is its um benefit right like because you don't have to sort of trust a government or trust a central bank um and you know that sort of worldview really aligns very closely um, because they, uh, sort of like, well, I don't really want, uh, to do anything, um, as a, as a group or a collective. I kind of, I'm just here doing my own thing. Um, I don't have to rely on someone else. Um, and I guess one interesting side note as well is that there are sort of like subcultures within renewable energy itself, um, who sort of have a similar view. So like, you know, um, people who disconnect from the grid. So they can run fully on solar and batteries. They have the same sort of um, feeling where they're just like, well, I don't want to trust the grid. You know, I don't want to rely on someone else. I kind of want to be self-sufficient. Um, so there's some interesting, like intersecting cultural things behind all this.
0: Is the solution to any environmental issues that Bitcoin may represent is, is the issue to is the solution? I should say to make just a new green Bitcoin. Can't we have a cryptocurrency that uses solar and wind and not fossil fuels?
2: Yeah, this is, this is really interesting because, uh, you know, it it already runs on electricity, right? Like a lot of the really challenging parts of climate action are taking things that actually don't run on electricity and then converting them to, um, run on electricity, like transport, you know, cars, cars are a really good example. Uh, it takes a huge amount of time and effort to, you know, um, get people on bicycles and walking and public transport and um where it's needed like electric vehicles as well um but bitcoin is electric right like it's um uh data centers are running on um electrical power Hypo- hypothetically it should actually be very very straightforward um because you know uh, a lot of the large tech companies that got targeted by greenpeace back in 2017 they actually have very much changed their ways, right? Like they're um, not just buying um, clean energy certificates, but they're also uh, in in Google's case, for instance, and I think Microsoft is doing this too, they're actually trying to match the demand uh, of the uh, created by their data centers with the output of renewables, which vary, you know, according to weather resource, right? Like, so when the wind is blowing, when the sun is shining, um, they'll actually do way more computations in their data centers. And then they'll actually, um, you know, pair it back uh, overnight or when the wind is low or both. And so, uh, you know, getting Bitcoin companies to do this uh, will require them to do two things, right? So first of all, they need an incentive. Um, They need an incentive to um, purchase clean energy, build and operate renewable energy themselves. And the second thing is accountability. So they need to be transparent. We need to be able to track their changes over time um, and test their claims against some sort of verifiable data source. The first one is really, really uh, not happening um, because their key incentive at the moment is cheap power and um, renewables are cheaper to build uh, than uh, fossil fuels at the moment, but, you know, you're not building everything new. Um, So there are plenty of places in the world where fossil fuels are way, way cheaper, particularly fossil fuels that have been stranded in some way. So, um, you know, uh, in regions in China where there's just far, far too much coal, Um, it's very, very cheap for Bitcoin miners to go and use that coal or um, in areas where there is a lot of um, oil and gas mining um, and the demand for oil and gas, when that starts to really properly decrease, then it's going to be pretty damn cheap to get that oil and gas and use it to burn uh, to make Bitcoin. Um, So those incentives are not clear at all. Um, And then, of course, wind and solar, um, as I mentioned earlier, they vary over time depending on weather resource, whereas Bitcoin mining... Has to run 24 7 for that competition, right? Like everyone's competing with each other um, to get that next Bitcoin um, and to earn that money. So it doesn't really seem particularly conducive. Um, and so what we actually see is the only form of clean energy that they sort of gravitate towards is actually hydro, um, because hydro, you sort of often get these instances where overbuild, where there's just way too much hydro capacity to serve low demand in particular regions um and so there's not a lot of wind and solar or nuclear in the mix for for, um, bitcoin it's mostly where there is clean energy it's hydro the second thing that i mentioned is accountability i know we talked about a little bit about this earlier but um it's just an ongoing problem because you can't trace and track who is decarbonizing uh their bitcoin mining operations and who isn't Um, and of course it harks back to that issue of their philosophy which is i don't need to be controlled. I don't need to be monitored. I'm doing my own thing and I don't want to be a uh, participant in this collective action. And this, this um, new thing just came out uh, last week called the Crypto Climate Accord, which is an effort to counter that second thing, that the, the accountability issue. Um, and they've got some signatories, um, but I haven't seen it getting a particularly huge amount of love from the Bitcoin community, um, because as I said, you know, it goes, sort of goes counter to, to their philosophy.
0: On Bitcoin's energy consumption problem, you write the fossil fuel industry problem and deep cultural ideological problem. You write, all three in symbiotic concert position Bitcoin to stamp out the hard-fought wins of the past two decades in climate. Years of blood, sweat, and tears in activism and technological development in policy and regulation extinguished by a bunch of bros with laser eye profile, uh, profile pictures. I'm worried and I want to explain why. How does Bitcoin undermine the technological advances made in clean, renewable, and sustainable energy?
2: Yeah. um, It's it's funny hearing that back. I was so angry when I wrote that post.
0: Um, I can tell by uh, blood, sweat, and tears. I can tell. When you write that in a sentence, you know
2: you're angry. Yeah. And it relates that. What I was thinking of with that specific phrase is is two particular things, right? Um, And so, It goes back to this issue, uh, and it's actually a long-running debate within the world of climate and energy, is how you treat demand, right? So it's not just about what generates the power. It's actually who consumes it. Um, When do they consume it? What do you consume it for? Um, And, you know, one school of thought is, you know, uh, human society needs to be high energy, needs to be consuming as much energy as it possibly can. And the other school of thought is that actually, no, we need to pare it back. Um, We need to reduce our consumption, not just of um, energy itself, but of goods, the energy that goes into making goods. Um, And where we can't do that, make everything way more efficient. And I definitely lean towards the second group, which is uh, reducing demand is actually an extremely powerful thing to do. So what we saw in 2020 is as a consequence of the pandemic, there were major reductions in energy demand across the world, um, quite unprecedented. Um, And what we saw, um, and of course, it would have been far better to not see this because, you know, the consequences of the pandemic have been really horrific. Um, But what we saw is that when demand decreases, it pushes it puts pressure on the people who are generating electricity in a grid and the people who are supplying cheaper power tend to win out. Um, And in many, many instances in the world, it is wind and solar that are actually providing the cheapest power um, because they've been built recently Um, It didn't cost much to build those those, um, wind and solar farms or rooftop solar. Um, And when demand drops, they get a much larger slice of the share. Um, And it demonstrated the power of reducing demand. And if you look at the UK, for instance, their power um, consumption in total um, has dropped. And that's due to energy efficiency in the UK. Uh, And what has happened is that has given a benefit to um, wind, solar, hydro, and nuclear in their grid. They are generating um, a larger share than if you had had increasing demand. Um, So the way this circles back to Bitcoin, of course, is that Bitcoin cancels out efforts to reduce demand. Um, So what happens is if um, you have people building renewables on a grid... And they're just doing it as fast as they possibly can, right? Because they're, they're like, oh my God, we need, to, we need to get rid of these fossil fuels as, as fast as we can. But if you have demand increasing at the same time, renewables just end up filling up that new demand and fossil fuels continue um, producing greenhouse gas emissions. That is a really huge problem because it's fundamentally for climate change. What we need to be doing is not producing new greenhouse gas emissions. So even if fossil fuels are continuing at the same level, that's worsening the problem. Right. you actually need to have fossil fuels decreasing. And the only way you have that is if you're building so much renewables that you're cutting downwards into, in, into um, fossil fuel output. Um, and so, uh, you know, in America, for instance, um, if you look at the profile of generation over the past um, couple of decades, there has been uh, a pretty massive amount of new renewable energy, but it's just filling up new demand, right? So um, coal and gas, obviously gas dominates the grid uh, dominates the various grids in America, um, is just sort of continuing at roughly the same level. And that's not a good thing. You actually need to push down on fossil fuels. So, so the more demand is created, um, by mining for Bitcoin, um, then the higher, the chance that renewables kind of just end up meeting the new, dem- new demand instead of cutting into fossil fuels.
0: And you quote computational artist Memo Atkin, writing, The logic is essentially, if it's stupendously compute-heavy and difficult to write to the blockchain, then it can't be done frequently enough to pose a security threat. Endless arrays of computers are sitting around in giant data center like mining farms around the world, doing nothing but generating random numbers... All day, every day, in the hope of rewarding their owners. And in the process, you know, making certain that it protects against fraud, leads to faith in the cryptocurrency. Does this mean that all uses of blockchain are bad for the environment? Doesn't all of blockchain, Bitcoin, all cryptocurrency, NFTs, don't they all contribute to this generation and regeneration of u- unique identifiers? <laughs>
2: Yeah. Th- yeah. This is, I've actually seen a lot of uh, really interesting um, disagreements um, between people on this exact question, which is like, what can you salvage? You know, like, is there anything, is there any way you can actually uh, reduce demand or reduce this like the sheer power hungry nature of this technology uh, into something that actually slots into society and could even become, you know, if it, it hits the right notes, if it, it could even become beneficial to the energy transition. Um, and I think that uh, it comes down to how you do it, right? So the what you just described is called proof of work. Um, and the whole idea is that you just consume so much energy. It's like um, that's the security is that you, you consume this massive amount of energy. And that's how you proved that you've done what's required to get, to get that particular um, Bitcoin, for instance. There are other ways of doing this. Um, it's, there's one called proof of stake, um, which sort of kind of just uh, shows that you... Um, have a bunch of other ways of proving that you can um, you doing what's needed to be done. That isn't just a massive amount of energy. Um, but you know, it's been promised for, for many, many years and it hasn't really come. It sort of reminds me a little bit of, um, the fossil fuel industry promising that it's going to do carbon capture and storage, um, for, you know, uh, what is it now? Three decades, four decades. Um, and now, you know, the total capacity of, um, carbon capture in the world is, um, a really minuscule fraction of the amount that fossil fuel emits every year. Um, so it's just really, there's a lot of promise and I don't see a lot changing. Um, so my my feeling uh, is that it's gonna sort of end up in these really niche applications um, and it's not gonna become a widespread thing at all. Um, and, I, and I think that's partly because of a cultural thing and partly because of a technological thing, because it really seems like a lot of the problems are baked in. Um, nfts uh run on a different uh, blockchain they run on ethereum and it's slightly less intensive but it's still pretty bad you know considering um the the service that it's creating um it's it's still just wildly disproportionate um you know for the function it serves which is basically just creating like a you know an identifiable receipt you know an identifier for a piece of whatever a piece of art or something that you bought um so yeah i know that's a bit of a i know that's a bit of a um pessimistic view of it um but it just seems like the hurdles are too great um and there's too much bad stuff baked in
0: and you write that bitcoin mining consumes physical hardware meaning these farms are burning through computer chips that could otherwise be used for working from home applications we need this to fly less or electric vehicles so right now we are experiencing a computer chip shortage is that computer chip shortage due to Bitcoin? How much does Bitcoin interfere with the accessibility to com- computer chips that can be used for a public good?
2: I actually, I'm talking to you from a laptop that I ordered in January. I got like two weeks ago <laughs> and um, you know, it's, um, so it's affecting everybody. And I, I actually, I was curious about this question, you know, what, what proportion um, of the, you know, material demand is coming from um, Bitcoin miners. And I actually don't, I didn't find a good answer. Um, I wanted to know, I wanted to quantify, you know, is it 20%? Is it 50%? How much is being sucked in to the Bitcoin mining industry? Um, and, I, and I don't really know. Um, it's substantial enough that it's, that it's a noticeable difference. Um, but I'm still looking for an answer to that question.
0: You write how, for the most part, there's green, there's greenwashing that's going on with people who are supporters of Bitcoin. Isn't for us, it's for those in the community with a guilty conscience and for nervous rich investors and speculators. It ends up so weird and confused because it's a community of explicitly anti community, anti government people clumsily feigning membership on a finite physical planet stocked with other non Bitcoin people. That's how you end up with a mix of Bitcoin as a battery mixed with stay poor climate alarmist, social justice worker. It is exhausting. And unpleasant. I did not understand when you were talking about the Norwegian billionaire discussing yeah. how Bitcoin is a battery. I was like, Am I just stupid? Am I missing something here? How the hell is Bitcoin a battery from the view of somebody who is a supporter of Bitcoin? And then, how is it really not a battery in reality?
2: Um, it, it's it, it's not a battery. Um, it's uh, it's I don't know. Um, it, the reason it's confusing is I, I feel like it's actually in a way it's actually meant to be confusing. You're meant to sort of be a little bit dazzled by it and you sort of walk away going, well, I really don't know where I stand. Um, and the, but you, when you sort of bake it down to its fundamental nature, um, a battery is something that stores energy, right? Like physically it's a real physical thing, you know, like the thing in my laptop right now, I charge it up and then I can discharge it when I need that energy. Um, Bitcoin is not that, right? Like it's, um it's converting energy into a, into um money (laughs) and so you know in the same way that if you have a steel plant and you and you consume electrical power to um manufacture you know um a rod of steel um that steel is not a battery you can't you can't sort of take that rod of steel home and then use it to generate power to power your home um but it still has embedded energy in it right like it's still required energy to make it Um, and so you can sell it for you know a 100 bucks and then use that 100 bucks to pay your next energy bill that's what they mean by bitcoin is a battery um and so that's a really sneaky and devious way of trying to um edge into climate action because you know in that letter from that um norwegian um uh from that uh, the guy with that norwegian fossil fuel company akka solutions um he says well the paris agreement says we need more batteries and bitcoin is a battery therefore bitcoin is part of the paris agreement um and so that kind of like level of rhetorical, um, just mucking around with language um, and climate and energy and like, you know, phrases that everybody who works in the space all agree and understand, we, we sort of know what they mean. Um, and then to just change the meaning to something else entirely, it basically illustrates what's going on here, which is they actually don't care what it means. Um, they're not that interested in how a battery works or how like renewable energy integration works or how emissions work Um, all they sort of care about is having like this list of things that they can kind of point to or link to and say um, well you're saying Bitcoin is boiling the the oceans but um, actually I've got this document here that says Bitcoin is battery Uh, so and then the onus is on you to then read it and then they'll have the same reaction that you did which is uh, you sort of Leave feeling um, a little bit, you know, <laughs> um, unpleasant and um, confused, uh, and you're wondering, like, am I the one failing to understand this? Um, so, yeah, it's actually it's a bit of a sneaky trick, and I really don't like it.
0: Yeah, let's talk about another sneaky trick that I I find very clever, but at the same time really nauseating, and that's its relation to fracking and how what is happening right now is Bitcoin is saying that they're going to use this burned off uh, waste fossil fuel from fracking. They're actually going to fuel their data centers with that burn off. And sometimes here in Illinois, if you're going down I-55, you'll see this burn off happening. And it's really disturbing when you see it coming from these natural gas fracking wells. So does Bitcoin then incentivize fracking because that's where they're going to be getting their fuel?
2: Yeah, it, it, it definitely does. Uh, so what's going on here, uh, is there's two things you can do. Uh, when you, when you extract gas from the ground, um, you get a lot of gas leakage as well. There's two things you can do with it. You can either let that gas into the atmosphere, uh, or you can burn it. Um, and so, uh, a lot of companies just release it into the atmosphere, which is really, really bad. Methane is a greenhouse gas that has um, many thousands of times more impact on warming the planet than carbon dioxide does. If you get that methane and you burn it instead, it doesn't release methane. It releases carbon dioxide, so it converts it back into carbon dioxide, which has a less, lesser impact on the atmosphere. Their argument is instead of burning it uh, as a flame that you see sort of shooting up into the sky, um they're like well we'll burn it but we'll burn it and produce and use the energy instead of the energy being released as heat into the atmosphere um we'll actually use it to power to generate to you know turn a turbine um that pa- that generates electricity to power Bitcoin mining when you burn that gas you still produce carbon dioxide um and so my immediate question and this was actually in the original thread Elon Musk like this thread Uh, and my, my, my original question was like, okay, well, what's the saving, right? Like, because, you know, if you're making this claim, you should know, uh, the climate saving, because, you know, when we work on this sort of stuff, the first thing we say to companies and countries who claim that they're saving emissions is how much prove it, you know, show it to us. Um, and turns out that you actually can't get these numbers, right? Like, um, they're saying that instead of burning it off into the atmosphere, um, you actually have a lower emissions if you burn it for power. And I'm like, okay, um, prove it, you know, <laughs> what are the numbers? Um, and first of all, um, they can't provide those numbers. But secondly, you're still burning gas. Um, and when you burn gas for power, um, it still produces greenhouse gases. And as I mentioned earlier, the problem is not uh, the amount of fossil fuels that you burn in any day. It's the accumulation of greenhouse gases over time. So by adding another greenhouse gas molecule into the atmosphere, you're worsening the problem. And that's just the, the thick and thin of it. There's nothing else to it, um, which is why people who work on climate action say, we need to stop burning fossil fuels. They don't say, oh, we need to slightly reduce our burning of fossil fuels every day. We need to stop right, right now because we have very little carbon budget left. Um, to keep the world under 1.5 degrees of warming. And so um, this, I immediately recognize this as a line of argument that is used in the fossil fuel industry all the time. As I mentioned earlier, um, the gas companies will say, well, look, um, yeah, sure, we're a fossil fuel, but if you burn coal instead, it would be worse. Therefore, what we're doing is fine because it's emissions reductions. Um, and unfortunately, you know, what has happened is in many places in the world, you know, not just in the US... Um, gas has kind of really stuck around, um, and it's becoming in many countries, it's actually becoming the primary source of greenhouse gas emissions. Um, and so on top of all of those problems, um, if companies are earning money from burning gas, um, and they're also digging up gas and selling it, uh, all of the financial pressures that they face from things like the divestment movement from the growth of renewables, Um, those financial pressures are eased because they're earning cash from Bitcoin. Um, And so that slows down the demise of these companies um, because financial pressure um, is a really key way uh, to reduce the viability of fossil fuel companies. So um, that's three separate ways in which that argument really just doesn't really uh, hold any water.
0: And you cite Maximilian Fage, who details in his 2019 article, how Bitcoin miners fled the zero emissions hydropower of China to consume oil heavy Iranian power, oversupplied due to sanctions p- applied to the country by the U.S. In recent weeks, those mining operations have contributed to blackouts and grid stress in Iran, and the government is cracking down on the activity. So, to what extent is Bitcoin stressing the global power grid? Does Bitcoin threaten access to electricity?
2: This is happening in uh, Inner Mongolia as well, in China. Uh, and what happened um, you know, a few weeks ago, actually, just before I wrote that post, uh, the um, government there actually just banned Bitcoin money because it was consuming so much energy. Uh, energy efficiency is a really key part of many of China's climate goals, right? This is something but they're really focusing on it. Not, it's not actually targeted specifically at Bitcoin. It's targeted at many uh, heavy energy-consuming industries in China, which have operated in a bit of a bloated way, I guess, over the past um, decade because there's just been so much power available from coal, from hydro, um, and, you know, recently from new wind and solar as well. There is just this surplus of energy. Um, the population growth is slowing in China, um, and, you know, people, people of course, it, 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 they sort of move up into uh, – you know, they have, high, have more access to wealth. They sort of consume a bit more energy as well. Um, but what is happening is they're actually just trying to crack down on the, on the large amounts of energy consumption. And so, you know, Bitcoin was just a really clear place for them to start because they're like, well, this is really not, um, uh, it's sort of not like a key export industry or anything like that. They just... They were just like, this is something we can ban, and society is not going to reel. You know, people aren't going to be out in the streets being like, "Where's my Bitcoin mining facility?" Um, which is just sort of an illustration of how little societal benefit it seems to provide. You know, in places where Bitcoin is being banned, there is not a huge backlash. Um, people just kind of shrug and go, "Oh, okay. Well, the thing that I didn't really know much about is being banned. I don't care." Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, it, what what is happening there is that. Um, in moments of like grid stress um so uh, and this is going to be happening more and more as the, you know invariably there will be some impacts of climate change that worsen no matter what we do uh, and that has a really significant impact on electricity grids um, that creates moments of grid stress uh so periods of either high demand or, or times when uh, the infrastructure gets damaged of course um you know a couple of months ago in texas that was a really clear example of that and so, when that happens, you need to have um, energy demand that can be flexible. Uh, and Bitcoin miners do not like being flexible. They like to run 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, so that, because they're in that competition to get the next Bitcoin. So, um, it, it's going to become what you described there as, you know, sort of creating competition for energy that's going to worsen, um, not just as, not just as Bitcoin expands, but also as uh, climate starts to impact grids.
0: That competition to get that next Bitcoin, uh, and you talk about how you're trying to hit the lottery, uh, that's the part that doesn't make sense to me. When I am in line to buy a lottery ticket, I know (laughs) that all I have to do is buy one. If I buy 100, that doesn't change my odds at winning the lottery. The guy in front of me may not know that, but I know that because I had a micro-local mathematician tell me that. And I believe a micro-local mathematician when he's talking to me about math. So to what degree is Bitcoin just a lottery?
2: Yeah, this is this is the part that uh, my knowledge is the weakest on. Um, I tried to I tried to read about it and learn as much as I possibly could, um, but it's pretty perplexing. But from what I what I basically understand is that the lottery numbers already exist. They're not going to be drawn at a specific time, right? So they you know these undiscovered bitcoins are kind of just sitting there, um, waiting to be discovered, and, and that means uh, it becomes a race, right? Because uh, you're not sort of buying a ticket to stand in line for a particular time in the future when, you know, um, a bunch of, uh, numbered balls come out of a, out of a fan powered ball. Um, it's actually already there. Um, uh, and so the faster you go to discover the next one, um, the greater the chances you have of being the person who, who wins that, that particular amount. So, um, that's my understanding of it. Um, of course my background is energy, <laughs> um, not, uh, Bitcoin mining, but, um, there are people who can probably speak with a bit more authority and detail on that. Um, But essentially, the incentive is very clear, which is that you want to be Bitcoin mining as much as you possibly can. Uh, And the more energy you consume to do that, the greater the chances you have of getting more, more, uh, uh, greater value, more profit.
0: Uh, Just two more questions for you. You write, Hmm. libertarians react either with confused pleas, Bitcoin will incentivize renewable energy, outright antagonism towards wind and solar, or just old school denialism. They close ranks and simmer in a puddle of outgroup hostility. They search for keywords on Twitter and dogpile doubters. What role, then, do you see Bitcoin playing in the divisiveness we are seeing online? Does Bitcoin fuel divisiveness?
2: Uh, I I don't know if it it sort of does fuel divisiveness in like this macro scale, like, you know, sort of in general. Um, What it certainly does is uh, it fuels uh an inability to have a sort of clear-headed discussion and part of the reason for that is the nature of um pumping up the stock itself right so you know it need they, they actually rely very very heavily on perception right because they want to convince the next person to come along and purchase um a bitcoin that they own um you know they need people buying bitcoin um and if they and if that changes, um, then suddenly their asset will drop in value um, and so uh, because they are all sort of participating in this process of trying to pump up value what they see is when someone like me comes along and um, criticizes uh, the process that they're going through they sort of see me as as if I'm participating in the same game like I, like I you know like I'm short selling or something or like you know, I'm sort of acting on behalf of the fiat currency industry or something weird like that. Um, and they sort of see it like as like, Oh, okay, well, we need to discredit this person as an individual, or we need to, um, you know, uh, make a show of force uh, and show that this person is wrong just through the sheer like volume or intensity of the response. Um, because they don't have the knowledge or the sort of interest in the actual subject matter to engage with like the arguments that are being made bit against Bitcoin. So that's why, you know, that's why like when I write something on this, you'll get like responses like have fun saying poor or, or all that sort of stuff. Um, and so, you know, this, um, just yesterday, um, that same, you know, the, ver- the initial thread that I was responding to, the, c- the company behind that, released this study, um, where they modeled Bitcoin, um, and solar and batteries on this pretend grid. And they said, you know, look, if you build way too much solar and you have this amount of demand, then the person running the solar power can actually earn money generating Bitcoin with all the excess solar power, instead of putting it into a battery. Um, and therefore, you know, um, <laughs> therefore, uh, Bitcoin actually helps renewables. And I looked at the modeling and I was just like, no, that's, that's not how any of this works. You know, um, renewables are displacing fossil fuels on grids. You, you, you haven't included like, transmission lines and demand response and all this other stuff. Um, and it was really not a particularly good piece of modeling. Um, and the argument was very, very weak, as, as many of these arguments often are. But then, you know, the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey um, quotes it saying, hey, look, this proves that Bitcoin is isn't environmentally friendly. And then Elon Musk responds. And he's like, yes, it does prove that Bitcoin is environmentally friendly. Um, And, you know, I was just like, OK, so this is exactly what the fossil fuel industry often does, right, which is where they sort of create a piece of modeling that is not there to investigate the sort of technical details of an issue it's there to provide something that they can point to um so the fossil fuel industry will often point to modeling um that that you know over uh values the role of fossil fuels in the future or over predicts carbon removals or ccs and they'll be like look see this shows that we need to uh, create this new oil field or create this new coal mine um and I really just see a lot of this performing the same function, which is that they can kind of just point to this modeling that, that proves that in their eyes, that Bitcoin is environmentally friendly and say, see, you know, it's not a problem. Um, you know, you shouldn't feel bad about investing in this particular thing or pumping up the value of this particular stock um, because uh, we're not as harmful as everybody says we are. Um, and it takes people with knowledge of like grid modeling and um, energy systems to uh, look at it and take it apart but, you know, when I do a criticism of something like that, I'm not going to get 3,000 retweets like Jack Dorsey is. Um, so, you know, this is a, this is a real problem um, because uh, there's a lot of deception going on and a lot of um, exaggeration. Um, and the consequence is that people, people aren't as aware of the costs of doing this particular thing as they should be.
0: And people who are profiting off of climate change through Bitcoin. I mean, look at Elon Musk. Here's this guy, as you point out, back in 2017, he was talking about how he was the person who was the biggest opponent of fossil fuel burning. And now he's he's apologizing to oil and gas companies for the way that he was so harsh to them in the past because he realizes now, oddly with his... Pockets getting lined with Bitcoin that all of a sudden no fossil fuels are okay. One last question yeah. <laughs> for you, Katan. And we've been speaking with uh, climate data analyst and communicator, Katan Yoshi, who posted the article, Bitcoin is a mouth hungry for fossil fuels at his website. Let me spell it out, K-E-T-A-N-J-O-S-H-I.co. Katan is author of Windfall, Unlocking a Fossil-Free Future, and he was suggested to us by listener Braden in Newcastle, Australia. So thank you, Braden, for suggesting Catan on the show. One last question for you, and as we do with all of our guests, I promise. Our final question is the question from hell, the question we hate to ask, you might hate to answer, our audience is going to hate your response. So, you write, awareness of environmental impacts, caring about the consequences of one's actions, and accepting the science when it implies a... Threat requiring government actions Just isn't in the DNA of Hyper-individualistic libertarians This is why critique of energy consumption Is perceived as some sort of authoritarianism The energy police because being Asked to acknowledge the existence Of other people or the planet Is offensive and triggers An automatic response amongst libertarians So is libertarianism The politicization Of selfishness in your opinion And why can't we all just take care of ourselves and everything will work out just fine why doesn't that
2: work uh i I was probably a little bit too hard on on libertarian i was in a bad mood when i wrote that post (laughs) um it's it's really uh so the simple consequence the simple the simple the the climate crisis uh is is born of this attitude right like it's not um it's not a natural phenomenon right like it's not like a disaster that is just sort of, has just sort of popped up, um, that we, that has surprised us like COVID-19 did. Um, it's something that happens for a specific reason and that's because, um, the chain of events and the sequence of people who are responsible for a molecule of greenhouse gas being emitted, um, know what's going to happen. They know the consequences, but they, but they sort of decide to do it anyway. Um, a lot of it is, a lot of it is really not evil, right? Like it's not, um, it's not it's not sort of dastardly in the way that we think of like a you know the ceo of a fossil fuel company you know trying to deny climate science or something like that you know it's like a family flying from one country to another on a plane powered by fossil fuels to you know um to see their loved ones right like this is stuff that has been actually become really baked into society um and so, uh, you know, if I, if, I, if I were to criticize my own argument to some degree there, um, I would say that uh, it's not actually um, that much down to individualism or libertarianism, uh, a lot of these problems, right? So um, with Bitcoin mining in particular, um, there are a lot of people who seem to be into it for what seem to be genuinely humanitarian reasons, right? Like, so... Um, they actually don't like the idea of a corrupt government having control over over bank transfers or they um, uh, they don't like to see, um, you know, uh, power centralized in some pretty evil banking systems that, you know, are doing pretty nasty stuff with fossil fuels already. Um, and so uh, I, I, try, I try not to be a bit, I try, I try not to be too judgmental there because they're not doing it because, um, they're like, Oh, all I care about is myself. They're actually doing it for reasons that they feel, are caring about other people, but the consequences is essentially the same, which is that, uh, they sort of end up contributing to the system where the, um, costs outweigh the benefits pretty, pretty severely.
0: I cannot thank you enough for being on our show This is a topic that we wanted to discuss And despite the fact that Braden Wanted us to just talk to you about what happened in Texas And we'd love to have you back on the show <laughs> To talk about that, because that's going to happen again in the future You can count on, uh, you know, renewables Being blamed by the far right For power outages in places like Texas in the future, so I hope we can Have yeah. you back on the show again to discuss that In depth, again, Katan's book is Windfall, Unlocking a Fossil-Free Future Find out more about Katan Yoshi At his website, KETAN N-J-O-S-H-I dot C-O Thank you so much for being on our show
2: I had a really good time Thanks for having me on
0: Alright, take care That's always that's the part that matters That you had a good time <laughs> Alright, take care Keeping it real Real deep in debt since 1996 This is Helen If you want to cl- help us climb out of that horrible debt you can subscribe to tomorrow's patreon podcast at patreon.com slash this is hell become a subscriber to this is hell on patreon at patreon.com slash this is hell and get exclusive access to our weekly patreon podcast which streams live every friday at 10 a.m chicago time and is podcast at the same place shortly after on patreon this week i can't get yesterday's conversation with seamus mcgraw out of my head when we were talking with seamus about his book from a taller tower which is really hard to say I might use that as a tongue twister before the show from now on. Taller tower, taller tower. The rise of the American mass shooter on Wednesday's show. He not only argued that all mass killings are senseless and committed by narcissists who claim they are victims, that they know better than everyone else, and all their poor decisions and choices were not their fault but were caused by others. But Seamus also made the point that in the United States, particular guns are part of a person's identity. You can't rein in AR-15 ownership, a weapon that has no rationalization to be owned, because some owners uh, self-identify and and have self-worth loaded in every magazine and clip. So during my monologue on Patreon, I'm considering whether my identity is wrapped up in an inanimate object of some kind. And if it is, what is that inanimate object? What is that thing? If there is any that encompasses... My Identity. Meanwhile, we're sharing an interview with one of our one of Tony's suggestions for a guest on Modern Monetary Theory. We'll be playing our August 2008 interview just before the financial crash of 2008 that started the Great Recession. A conversation we had with professor at the Lyndon B. Johnson School of Public Affairs and at the Department of Government, University of Texas at Austin, and author of the then-just-published book, The Predator State. How conservatives abandon the free market and why liberals should too, and that person is James Kenneth Galbraith. James was highly critical of liberals who were either falling for the right-wing rhetoric of free markets or were peddling the lies themselves. Because if that's if there's one thing about the free market that libertarians do not want you to know is. It is not free in any way And that's the way the free market likes it So they can privatize profits while socializing losses But you can only hear me searching my house For the inanimate object Or objects that are the foundation of my identity like AR-15s are apparently to many gun lovers in the United States, and our conversation from only days before the crash of 2008 with James Galbraith on the free market, which is not free in any way, the only way you can hear all of that is by subscribing to our weekly Patreon podcast, happening every Friday at 10 a.m. Chicago time at patreon.com slash thisishell, and podcast at the same place shortly after. In a few minutes, Jeff Dorchin will be delivering a moment of truth. During this week's moment, Jeff wants to help you design your own dementia. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap-toothed radio show podcast live stream host, Chuck Mertz. Producing today's show is Richard Norwood. Richard, this week's question from hell is, what are you doing to boost your social credit score? What are you doing to boost your social credit score? Do we have any more responses to this week's question from hell from our listening audience?
1: Oh, hell yeah. Oh,
0: sweet. Let's hear
1: <laughs> So uh, Jeff C. says, replies living in the woods with snakes and lizards
0: <laughs> not a good idea and by the way is that like a, a marriage situation I, I don't
1: know could be <laughs> uh, steven s replies with a link to a, uh, uh, a a commercial credit score company page on how to improve your credit score <laughs>
0: and that does not help in any way in helping your social credit score yeah.
1: Kim G says, non creepy eye smiling. Okay. And our Jeffy, our Jeffy says, showing a lot more skin this bikini season.
0: <laughs> it's not bikini season. Yes. By the way, he for,
1: must have a smaller bikini it, for this season.
0: <laughs> that and uh, uh, it's never bikini season for Jeff.
1: <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> to boost your social credit score? Martin F. says, donating to the president's re-election campaign <laughs> so I can pressure him, her, to stage a coup and install a regime that will give me a higher social credit score.
0: Now that's a lot of work to get Martin, that
1: sort a, a sitting president, will not stage a coup against <laughs> himself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe he could whiteboard that
1: for us. Darren S. says, insisting on the necessity of queuing properly. Oh, okay. Brandon R. answers, by donating to listener-supported independent media that criticizes dystopian techno-authoritarian systems of social engineering.
0: That counts, right? Yeah, it does count. All you have to do is go to thisishell.com and click on support.
1: Drew W. answers, jaywalking is a fabricated offense invented by government to extort money from its citizens. I side with goofus.
0: Have you ever been stopped for jaywalking?
1: I haven't.
0: I have been. I'm sure. And uh, I uh, was running across an intersection in downtown Lansing to catch a bus, and I ran the red light. I didn't care. I ran right in front of traffic and got to the, was trying to get to the bus. The bus took off cops stop me two cops pull up and they're like hey man you were just jaywalking and i said i was and he said yeah he goes yeah. i was like i have no idea he goes what do you mean i was like here let me show you my id on the michigan state id <laughs> it used to say what your disability was right. and so it said legally blind on it and the guy just looks at me and goes dude you're legally blind and you were jaywalking and i said i didn't know i was jaywalking and so he <laughs> let me go Ah, good days, good times, my friend. Any more?
1: Yes, we do. Uh, Jarrett L. says, joining a cult. (laughs) That's how he's helping out his social credit score? Okay. And our Pete says, masturbating in a park. (laughs) And Pete, (laughs) as long as that park is by Chuck's house, I'm cool with that. (laughs) Milan M. says, not listening to This Is Hell. There you go. So we know who's not going to receive a prize (laughs) this week. (laughs) David S. says, By praising the Belt and Road Initiative and reporting all unflattering posts about Paramount leader Xi Jinping, especially those that mention his uncanny resemblance to Winnie the Pooh. That's
0: verging on racist. (laughs) Now we're all screwed. Go ahead.
1: So what are you doing to boost your social credit score? Andrew S says, "Allowing myself to be turned into a 5G hotspot by Bill Gates' vaccine." Sweet. So we have a couple from uh, the DM, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Neil C says, "Borrowing from the bank." <laughs> All right. And Adam B says, "That's that same as in Chicago." From what I, that same as in Chicago from what I hear. Have you guys been to this place? The Wieners Circle? <laughs> Everybody's been there. Everybody. Lisa M. says, I recently got a bidet. <laughs> that'll, that'll boost your social <laughs> credit score. Who said that? Lisa MP.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: Margie says, Buying Bitcoin. <laughs> and our last one... For this morning yeah. Eric T says Fake arguing Loudly With my girlfriend So our neighbors Are less self-conscious About their situation
0: You can still leave Your answer To this week's question At our Facebook page com Slash This Is How Radio And if you St- still have one you want to leave at this very last minute We will be reading down on the air Following Jeff Dorchin in The Moment of Truth During this week's Moment Jeff wants to help you design your own dementia You can leave your answer, as I said, at our Facebook page And we'll read it on air after Jeffy Live from late capitalism Where we know the price of everything But the value of nothing This is Hell Richard, I know you have Hefe on the line One, two, you know what to do
3: design your own dementia welcome to the moment of truth the thirst that is the drink in the old days around 1966 in the decade of rebellions and police riots around the world a boy and i were talking to each other in nursery school conversations are quite primitive among four-year-olds and yet Complex ideas and emotions are communicated. As multivalent as any thoughts and feelings shared by drunk college students or bitter philosophers with mortgages, marriages, and secret shames weighing on them, humans are time bombs of distress and joy at any age. No passions or fears shared over glasses of whiskey or in smoky dens are any more momentous than those hashed over across Dixie cups of grape juice while wooden building blocks are being stacked. And this boy, Mark, was his name, said to me, I can dream whatever I want. I decide what I want to dream before I fall asleep, and then I dream it. I didn't disbelieve him. I didn't believe him unreservedly either. I withheld judgment. His sleep process could easily be unlike mine. It wasn't beyond imagining. It wasn't like he told me he could levitate objects with his mind. I had no control over my dreams. I tried different tricks to escape from nightmares. One trick was to close my eyes in the dream and then open them whereupon I would awake. But that trick only worked a few times. Jumping from a great height could work, but getting into position to do so in a dream wasn't always possible. And in any case, it wasn't a pleasant option. Often in my dreams, I would see friends of mine accompanied by smaller doppelgangers of themselves, mini-thems, which was disturbing, though not insignificant, as you'll see. If my dream life and my attempts to guide it taught me anything back then, it's that I was helpless. Neuroscience has come to the general conclusion that conscious awareness plays little to no part in human activity. Our unconscious or Subconscious, as people who adhere to misquotes of Freud like to call it, decides things before our conscious mind initiates an action. They've tested this. It's not controversial. The same you that breathes without thinking too much about it also decides to put your finger in your nose before you are even aware there's a dry, prickly booger up in there. And don't try to pull any surprises like wiggling your fingers for no reason. The you beneath is way ahead of the you on top. It's almost as if you have a shadow puppeteer pulling strings. And that shadow puppeteer's thought processes are not available to you. Surely you're familiar with the fact that people often say things they don't mean or have entirely divergent motives behind their actions from those they are willing, if they are even able, to express. So we're all just facades, paper masks, wandering through the motions of our lives, operated by invisible puppeteers whose motives and plans are an elaborate secret. Gears, servos, and processes, winding and unwinding like secret clocks, keeping a secret time, a whole other invisible world is operating behind the scenes. Whether or how much the individual worlds are conspiring together is a question too far beyond our investigative abilities to even approach answering. If we fall in love, who in fact is falling in love? And why? If we react to another with fear or hatred, whose prejudice is it? Where do our feelings come from? Are they made by a shadow committee of our ancestors' ghosts in our unremembered past? Can we ever overcome the training our unconscious puppet masters have undergone without our knowledge so we can abort the cycle of failure our species seems fated to ride forever and ever? Certainly some triggers to trauma can be overcome, but it seems to require knowing what initiated the trauma in the first place, the err trigger We are prevented from seeing the original engines of our fates, and only the luckiest among us finds a guide of some kind to bring them into at most partial confrontation and reconciliation with the hidden demons of our past. Armed with this knowledge, or maybe disarmed or even defenseless is more like it, I aspire to design my own dementia. My paternal grandmother suffered for over a decade with dementia. My mother's father also dissolved in the few weeks near the end of his life. Both became trapped in hermetic, opaque worlds in which they seemed always plagued by petty annoyances. My grandmother complained about people not paying attention to her complaints. My grandfather railed in frustration about his independence being taken from him. Two sides of my family, both ending up trapped in private worlds of unpleasant, faulty comprehension. I don't want to end up that way, and I'm an annoyed, unhappy guy by nature. It's not out of the realm of eventuality that I could end up trapped in an unhappy, annoyed self. But how can I prevent it? I couldn't even influence my own dreams back when I could experience and remember them. How can I hope to get the ear of the shadow puppet master? Apparently, Puppet Master is a gross mischaracterization. In a December 2018 article in Scientific American, Peter Carruthers, Distinguished University Professor of Philosophy at the University of Maryland, College Park, said, We are not simply puppets manipulated by our unconscious thoughts, because obviously, conscious reflection does have effects on our behavior. It interacts with, and is fueled by implicit processes he was being interviewed about a paper he'd published the year before called the illusion of conscious thought but his point wasn't so much that unconscious forces have control over us it's that consciousness simply comprises a lot more than we normally understand it to i have a friend in his 80s who is heading into awareness decline it's tragic He's an old Hollywood writer who would love to share stories about the good old days. He used to show up at coffee. I mean, he still does, but not for much longer. His distressed wife, having become unable to care for him, has found a facility it seems he will be happy in. In the good old days of three years ago, he'd go to the counter with his giant golden doodle, Levi, get a coffee and an apple danish, sit with us, and kibitz. I only really got to know him for about a year and a half before I realized he no longer knew who I was, although he still felt comfortable ribbing me. Look at this guy. What a cheapskate, eating a banana instead of a pastry, he might say in his jolly manner, even though he hadn't a clue who this guy was. Have a pastry. You still have a couple holes left there to loosen your belt. Take advantage. He has maintained his cheerful demeanor throughout his decline, even when totally confused. He's unaware he's confused or why he's confused, but he just plows ahead and no one corrects him anymore if he calls someone named Abner Stewart. Correcting him just makes him more confused. Last time I saw him, last Friday, I believe, he'd just sat down with his paper, coffee, and an apple Danish. I said, Hi, Jay. He said hello back to me, happy as ever, and when I started petting Levi, whom I love, he seems delighted. That's the kind of senility I would like to inhabit, if I have to suffer mental degradation. Any more than I have already. More than that, I would like to start a design-your-own-dementia service kind of a -a build-a-bear for senescence. You'd come into the store and I'd have a chart with aspects you'd like your dementia to have. Jolliness, wit, love of animals, patience. You'd check them off like items on a sushi scorecard. And then I'd perform my protocols for convincing your unconscious mind to give you those qualities when your conscious mind was finally unmoored. Or I wouldn't do my protocols. Maybe I'd just wave my hands over you mystical style. What, some demented old fart who can't even remember his grandchild's name or even that he has a grandchild is going to take me to court because he's dissatisfied with his dementia? There'll be no paper trail, no reverse mortgage document with Tom Selleck's signature on it. He does sign them all personally, right? Otherwise, what would be the appeal to the swindled mark? Anyway, I won't have any reverse mortgage documents with Tom Selleck's signature, so don't ask. This is a cash business. Forget it, Gramps. You're not getting a dime back. Anyway, I already spent it all on hookers and charcuterie. And the same goes for all the rest of humanity. I hereby impress upon your unconscious minds that you want peace and justice, and your lust for profit, gullible belief in the fairness of free markets, rugged individualism, xenophobia, and bad taste are all illusions that are dissolving like a wad of hair under the influence of Drano. Soon, so very soon, you will find yourselves performing actions of real communal value, actions to preserve and nurture the resources of our world world, and relinquishing all claims to things that are private, which would certainly be far more useful if made available to each according to their needs. That'll be 24 million bucks. Take the deal. (laughs) You're getting off cheap. And you get a trucker cap with a tote bag. Signed by Tom Selleck.
0: This has been the Moment of Truth. Good day. My dad went to high school with tom Selleck's dad
3: did he get his signature <laughs> no
0: <laughs> really where in hawaii when he was a detective <laughs> no in pershing man pershing high school in detroit Oh my! home oh my of the jungle ears the jungle ears you gotta be kidding me no what's it, a jungle ear i don't want to know and i'm very upset that when that school went from being all white to not being all white they still have kept that name you got to be kidding me. Southeastern. Sorry, you know Pershing is the Doughboys. He went to Southeastern. Southeastern yeah. is a school. Uh, Southeastern Ears.
3: My dad, when he used to work at Dexter Davidson, on Dexter and Davidson. <laughs>
0: the first hi- highway in the United States of America, by the way.
3: Really? Yes, sir. He. Uh, they called him Little White Sambo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so this is my grandmother. My uh, grandmother, my gypsy grandmother's dementia was amazing because- What she did when she wasn't, when she didn't have Alzheimer's yet, was Mm. she would just be in the kitchen and all of a sudden you hear, Butch, come here, Butch, come here. There is nobody named Butch. So we'd all look at each other and just be like, which one of us is going to go this time, you know? (laughs) And so, you know, my dad would say, Chuck, go in there, go in there. And so I'd go and do whatever grandma wanted me to do. So then she got, she became senile. And she just started calling everybody Butch, so nothing really changed. That is she really she convenient built in her dementia right away. I thought that was a clever idea. Jeffy, anything else before you got to go? Well, I wonder if Pete thought,
3: and wonder if Pete is maybe suffering from a little dementia because he uh, he seemed to think that uh, the you know what was his answer for
0: uh, the, How, the question from Hal? What are you doing to boost your social credit score? Pete said, masturbating mm-hmm. in the park.
3: I think he thought you said, uh, what are you doing to improve your sexual predator score? <laughs> but maybe it's just a hearing thing. I don't know. You know, we're all getting older.
0: It's not It's not a criticism. Look, he has heart issues. Don't be critical of him, OK?
3: Well, you know, that's just another, that's just another, some more evidence that there's definitely uh I don't know. Is he a sexual predator? <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> All right, Jeffy, on that note. Yeah? Stay beautiful. Okay. Live from land stolen from the Potawatomi people, this is Hal Richard. Do we have any more answers to this week's question from Hell, which is what are you doing to boost your social credit score? We do not. So, let's see. The answers I liked the most were... Come on. Pete saying masturbating in the park. That's a great way. I, th- I don't think that's predatory in any way. Mm, though I have seen predatory <laughs> public masturbating before along the river and the loop. Uh, Lisa saying that she bought a bidet to raise her social credit score. Jeff saying showing a lot more skin this bikini season. David G. saying subvertising. I like that one. Tom G. saying, stealing Gallant's identity and starting a smear campaign to cancel Goofus because Alex used a Gallant and Goofus, Goofus and Gallant cartoon as the image with the question from hell. Justin saying, increasing my social debt. That is a good way to increase your social credit score. Mason uh, saying, rolling joints for people. Jack saying CIA-ing my way into being the Secretary of Transportation, like Mr. Buttigieg has done. Dan Colbert saying eating people with higher scores, which I really liked. So that makes this week's winner. To this week's question from how what are you doing to boost your social credit score? I gotta say, it's Mason. Rolling joints for people I think that is the best way That you can really increase your social Credit score Especially if you put those little cardboard filters On the end My answer to this week's question from hell What are you doing to boost your social credit score This is hell Thanks to everyone for sending in your answers To this week's question from hell Was it Mason? Let me double check that again That was Justin Justin, all you have to do is contact us via facebook no, with it's mason. was it mason oh yeah sorry mason sorry thank you thank you rolling joints for people mason uh, thank you so much for uh, being the winner to this week's question from hell all you have to do is contact us via facebook and we'll with your mailing address and tell us what piece of merchandise you want by going to this is hell.com and clicking on support to see all of our swag just tell us what you want and send us your mailing address and we'll get it in the mail as soon as possible Thank you for correcting me, Richard. I have been exhausted all day and all week, and I think it's the lingering side effect from that vaccine. I've been, like, falling asleep just sitting up in a chair. It's been really a very weird week for me. Uh, We start every week's live streaming shows here at ThisIsHell.com by revealing this week's Hangover Cure. This week's Hangover Cure is blueberries. Thanks to this week's guests, including political theorist Adrian Kreutz, who wrote the Roar magazine article. What good is a right to toothless protest? The UK's new police and crime bill is a clear attack on the basic right to protest and a next step in the democratic backsliding of the country. And if you saw the front page of uh, The New York Times today, states that are controlled by Republicans all over the country are in cooperation with ALEC. They are making a whole bunch of uh, legislation, a whole bunch of new bills that are going to uh, pretty much restrict and curtail protest and dissent. You can find out more about Adrian at AdrianKreutz.weebly.com and follow Adrian on Twitter at Adrian underscore Kreutz. Thanks to yesterday's guest journalist Seamus McGraw, author of From a Taller Tower, The Rise of the American Mass Shooter. You can follow Seamus on Twitter at Seamus McGraw. We were not able to do a show on Tuesday because there was an Internet outage for our provider in this area. We have figured out a workaround, so that will never happen again. And thanks to today's guest, climate data analyst and communicator, Ketan Yoshi, who posted the article, Bitcoin is a Mouth Hungry for Fossil Fuels, at his website, katayoshi.com. Katana is author of Windfall, Unlocking a Fossil-Free Future. Thanks to Richard Norwood for producing and Jess Lipka for producing and Alexander Jerry for producing this week's show. Richard, do we know who is on next Monday's show? We do not. It's a mystery. All right. Anything about next week at this point?
1: Not that I'm aware
0: of. All righty. Well, I can tell our listening audience one guest that we are going to have on next week's show. So, talk to you tomorrow on Patreon at patreon.com slash thisishell when I will be trying to find some something, some thing, some item I identify with as much as gun enthusiasts identify with their guns. And we will be sharing our 2000. A interview with Next Monday's guest James Galbraith He's going to be on here to talk about his article That he posted last December Called Who's Afraid of MMT Modern Monetary Theory And our interview that we are going to be playing With James from uh, 2008 That we'll be playing on tomorrow's Friday's Patreon podcast Is about how the free market was never free No matter what conservatives and liberals May want you to believe that was from 2008, 13 years ago We were talking about that kind of stuff I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap radio show Livestream podcast host, Chuck Mertz Producing today's show is Richard Norwood Thanks to everybody who emailed, contacted us Thanks for listening There's only one way to get over all the problems That we've introduced to you on this week's show That's by sitting down in the lotus position Turning your palms towards the sky Focusing on that burning white dot in the middle of your forehead And saying the simple words Everybody's stupid